This is Lunduk's Weird Computing News for October 23rd in the year of our Lord 2022. This is the first time I'm using the Weird Computing News name. I, I kind of did a little change up this last week. Wednesdays we do the normal computing news and Sundays we do the weird computing news. Normal computing news is stuff like Windows and Mac and Linux. And yes, Linux is not weird anymore. Linux is normal, mainstream, popular. It is it is it is big tech. I mean, come on. You you can't get much more big tech than IBM, Red Hat, Microsoft, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they're all firmly in in Camp De La Linux. So Linux is not weird computing news at this point. But what is weird are things like alternative operating systems, not not Linux, but 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 the far out alternative operating systems, the ones that fly under the radar of even many nerds, and retro computing, and just just the strange things that happen in the computing world that bring us joy. That stuff lives here every Sunday in the weird computing news. <laughs> Uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> welcome. Thanks you for joining me. Let's uh, let's dive right into the news of the week. And this one isn't breaking news per se. It, it, this is this is something that happened earlier this year, back in April actually. But I didn't know about it. I just found out about it yesterday, and it's so cool. It's so random and awesome that I, I just. <sighs> I had to share it. Somebody, some amazing genius, implemented an entire game of Klondike Solitaire, a whole Solitaire video game, in Gopher. Yeah. Not uh, that Gopher. The Gopher Browser Gopher. The pre-HTML and HTTP Gopher. That gopher, the thing that predates web browsers. Someone made <laughs> Klondike Solitaire and Gopher, and it's playable. You can use it right now. Uh, let me pull up the domain name for you. If you go to gopher colon forward slash forward slash in like a gopher browser, uh, there's a lot of gopher browsers out there. Links will work. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other browsers out there. I uh, Go to worldofsolitaire.com. Yeah, go to that domain in Gopher and you will be treated to this just beautiful, beautiful ASCII art implementation of Solitaire. And it works. It's awesome. And think about it. Think about it for a little bit. Gopher didn't have JavaScript. So load that up and think through how they implemented it. It's truly awesome. I linked to the uh, the blog post from the developer. It is it is great. By the way, all the stories we talk about here today, you can go ahead and grab uh, the the links and the pictures and the screenshots and all of it at lunduke.substack.com. There's an article to go along with this podcast, and it's got all the all the relevant linkitudes and the universal resource locators are all are all part of it. And I love this. I love keeping old protocols alive, like BBSing, you know, telnetting into old dial-up BBSs. I love that. I love Gopher. Honestly, I mean, if we could all just use Telnet BBSs, Gopher, and I don't know, Usenet, you know? 
I think I would be happy. <laughs> I think that would do it for me. I don't know if I need a whole lot else. Maybe FTP. Because, you know what, not enough people use FTP anymore. Everyone's moved off onto other things, but I like FTP. All right. Uh, okay, and the, the least weird news item of today's weird news docket, OpenBSD 7.2 has been released. And the reason I'm including it here is because, because OpenBSD is an operating system that while it is known, while people know it exists, it just doesn't get enough love. Because OpenBSD has so many projects on the SSL side of things and everything else that, that, that are the underpinnings of modern internet entirely. I mean, the, the OpenBSD project goes away. Holy smokes. I mean, there's going to be a lot of projects that, have to, that would have to scramble. OpenBSD is amazing. And it's a, an amazing and powerful operating system in its own right, both for servers, embedded devices, and even for desktop computers. And so uh, Theo Durat, their, their glorious leader, who has been forever, uh, or just announced version 7.2. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a pumpkin seed in my, in my throat. It's, it, you know, it's, it's October. We did, we did carving pumpkins today. And I love pumpkin carving time because it means I can pull all those seeds out and roast them. And today I roasted those pumpkin seeds in a cast iron skillet over a campfire. And it was the best experience of roasting pumpkin seeds I've ever had. I usually do it on a, you know, a flat cookie sheet and stick it in the oven. This time, I sprinkled a little bit of olive oil into a cast iron skillet, put it over the top of a big burning fire, and roasted a giant mound of, of pumpkin seeds fresh. Pulled them out hot and brown and crispy and ready to explode and sprinkled some salt and, and a little bit of black crushed black pepper over them. Oh my heavens. I just went to town on about eight pounds of pumpkin seeds. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to poo a pumpkin pretty soon. Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, OpenBSD. So OpenBSD 7.2 is out. It needs more love. It deserves more love. Uh, the fact that it doesn't get more than a footnote, like a couple of tech news sites will mention FreeBSD, but they leave it right there. They, they, don't, they don't really give it the love. You don't see websites filled with reviews of the latest version of FreeBSD like you do with Ubuntu or Debian or or Fedora or the like, but it deserves it. And they add, they added some really cool new features to this. And here's the thing about OpenBSD's new releases: their release notes and change logs are epic. I mean, long. Hey, if you don't believe me, go check out the article and go read the release notes that I linked to. It goes on for days. It is so epically long. <laughs> and, and they don't really sort it in any sort of structural order. Like there's no, here's the highlights of this release up top. No, 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 no. They just list them for you in whatever order made sense to them from an engineering perspective, which from your perspective will mean almost nothing. It's amazing. Oh man, that's a pumpkin seed that is lodged in there. <laughs> Oh, but it tasted so delicious going in. But that said, there are some new platforms 
that they have support for in the latest OpenBSD release, including the Ampere Ultra, the Apple M2, yeah, and support for Lenovo ThinkPad X13S and other machines using the Qualcomm Snapdragon 3rd Gen system on a chip. Pretty cool. Pretty darn cool. Uh, anyway, uh, go check it out. OpenBSD is pretty awesome. It's, it's worth looking at. All right, moving on. Pumpkin OS. Now, I've talked about Pumpkin OS in the past. Pumpkin OS is fascinating because I've never used it. Because there's no release for it currently. There, there's, no, there's no current release of Pumpkin you can go grab. But the developer keeps releasing these detailed, I mean detailed development journal type posts going into how he's tackling problems, the architecture of the system, and then showing not just pictures but video of the system in progress so it's clearly real. And it is amazing looking. What it is, it's a desktop operating system. Kind of. It basically runs as, a, as an application. But it is a, it is a, a multitasking, multi-window OS that runs Palm OS applications. So you can run Palm OS, you know, ARM and whatnot applications, just like you would on a Palm Pilot, you know, with the little square screen with the, the standard Palm OS UI. And you can move them around and run a whole bunch of those Palm OS applications at the same time. It's kind of amazing. And looking at the, the videos and screenshots he's posted, I kind of want to try running this as a system just to see what it would be like. Because it, you know, you don't think of Palm OS, which was really engineered to be a single application at a time system. You don't think of it in a, let's use this as a desktop sort of thing. But honestly, looking at the what what the developer has created in Pumpkin OS, it looks kind of viable. Well, the developer recently posted another video teasing a new feature. He says, quote, I was reminded that every operating system should have a, quote, file browser thing and maybe one resource editor or two. So here is a first try for Pumpkin OS. And what's really cool about this, and I've included a screenshot of the video, and you can you can click on the link, and he posted a video over on Twitter if you want to see the whole thing. But what it is, in, in Palm OS, much like in classic Macintoshes, they have these things called resources. They have the resource fork of, of a binary application. And that resource fork will have everything from um, uh, pictures and bitmap files, individual little databases, um, uh, uh, localized text strings for different languages, all sorts of things. And you can go in there using things called resource editors in both Palm OS and classic Mac applications and edit those little things. Um, so you can edit the pictures, not just the icons, but all of the artwork inside the application because everything in a Palm OS application, for most of them anyway, is self-contained, right? There's no folder structure with images. All the images are in the binary itself. And so you can go in and edit them. Well, he's made it. So there's a little, little database browser. So you can bring up a list of every application on your system, on your Pumpkin OS system. So every Palm OS application is in a list. You know, all the all your games and everything else. Open it up and edit 
all of the stuff that's inside of it. Graphics and text and all of it. It's very, very, very cool. It's very old school. And I, I just, I absolutely love it. And here's the thing, though. There's still no Pumpkin OS release. So we're, we're left just jonesing to try this thing out. So I asked the developer, when, when can I get my hands on this? I need Pumpkin OS, man. And he said, quote, soon, I hope there are so many small things to tweak. <laughs> He's killing me here. <laughs> You're killing me, man. Oh, I want to try this thing out. Because it just looks so super cool. I, I mean, here's the thing. If you're listening, my dude, I don't care if it's buggy. I don't care if it crashes every time you look at it slightly sideways. If I breathe and it explodes, I'm just fine with that. I just want to try it. You know, I just, I want to put my, my grubby, dirty little hands all over it and see what it, see what it feels like. I just, I need to, I need to experience this because it's such a cool idea and it is so utterly unique among all of the various operating system projects out there. And there's some really unique ones some truly unique desktop operating system ideas just floating around in the uh, in the in the intertubes but this one well this is just is just altogether totally different i i it's it's beyond anything i've i've seen from anyone else in terms of just far outness and yet somehow the idea of having a dozen different 160 by 160 resolution <laughs> windows that are not necessarily resizable, running individual Palm OS applications, old or new, running simultaneously. That sounds amazing. That, that kind of sounds like a, a, an incredibly fun and enjoyable desktop computing experience. I recognize that there's about a billion different ways it wouldn't make sense to use as like a daily driver, at least not now, but how cool, how cool, how cool to have this and then say, have a Palm OS, say like a Palm 3C or something like that, or oh, a handspring visor or something as your PDA. And then the same applications run on your PDA as on your desktop in the same way. I just, I, I love that so much. I, I need that experience in my life. So if you're listening to me, Hear my pleas. <laughs> Release it soon. <laughs> or just send me a build that'll run under Linux. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> oh, just please, when you do release it, don't don't just release like a Windows binary, because I'll be just so so terribly sad. All right, moving on. Zeal OS. All right, it's just not Zeal OS, it's just Zeal. It is an 8-bit operating system for the Z80, uh, which, because why not? The Z80, I, I should point this out, the Z80 CPU was first released 46 years ago. And someone came along and made Zeal a brand new, from scratch operating system written in 100% Z80 assembly. Awesome. Uh, from the GitHub page, Zeal 8-bit OS is an operating system written entirely in Z80 assembly for Z80 computers. It has been designed around simplicity and portability. It is inspired by Linux and CPM. It has the concept of drivers and disks while being ROMable. Huh. 
Huh. Meaning you can you can be like burn it to a ROM and boot from ROM. Cool, right? Uh, now the the whole inspired by Linux and CPM bit. Oh my gosh! If you could combine two two operating systems together, and just immediately pique my interest, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. I, I I don't even need to know anymore. I'm interested. Z80 Linux CPM. Here we go. I, I'm on board. Uh, but here's here's the thing. Here's where this project, because it's a very simple OS. It's not some big multitasking operating system. It's a simple single tasking system written for the Z80. But but what was fascinating about it is it was originally written because the same people, the same person behind it is developing the Zeal 8-bit computer. Quote, this project is in fact part of a bigger project called Zeal 8-bit computer which as its name states consists of an entirely new design entirely newly designed 8-bit computer based on a Z80 CPU yeah yeah i've got a picture of the zeal 8-bit computer up up on the uh, the article it says a modern 8-bit computer powered by a real Z80 processor not a microcontroller nor an emulator Cool. <laughs> cool. Oh, I want to play with one. I, 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 every word he uses is one that makes me happy. So, uh, yeah, I want to play with that. Uh, you know, is there going to be a lot that I can do with it right out of the gate? No, no, there's not. But I want to play with one. <laughs> that's honestly, that's like how I judge like the coolness of a project. Like when I read it, if I immediately want to play with whatever they're talking about, then it's awesome. And it needs, I need to tell everyone about it because I want to play with it. But like, I, I don't even know where being a professional productive computer ends and being a toy that makes me smile begins. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, so like this one, a Zeal 8-bit computer, what's it closer to for me in my heart? Um, say an, an early original IBM PC, one of the first ones, or an original Gen 1 Optimus Prime Transformer. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of both. <laughs> it's a, it's an awesome toy. Like, if I unwrap it, you know, for my birthday present, uh, I am I do a little giddy dance, and I laugh a little bit, and I'm super excited, right? So it's like, ah, this is a toy. This is fun, but it's also awesome and a real computer. So very, very cool. Very, very cool. I'm going to be keeping tabs on the Zeal thing. Uh, it's a new OS and a computer to go with it. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Um all right, all right. Uh, more news, more news, more news. Lady Bird. Let's talk about Lady Bird for a second. So I've, we've talked about Serenity OS. Serenity OS is cool. Very '90s aesthetic, uh, modern underpinning, developed from scratch entirely. Uh, it's four years old. It celebrated its fourth fourth birthday last week. Very cool system. It's been moving very rapidly towards being a functional daily driver. It, it, it's it's not quite there yet, but with a few tweaks here and there, it will be. And really, the biggest hindrance to making uh, Serenity OS into a daily driver is really a good functional web browser right now. Since most people do so much of their work in the web right now, that kind of just makes sense. And the, the Serenity OS project has their own web browser engine that they've been building. They recently, a couple months back, 
broke that out into its own project called Ladybird. The Ladybird web browser is a from scratch web browser, meaning not based on Gecko or Chromium or anything else or or uh, or uh, uh, what's the uh, anyway, anyway, uh, KHTML or anything. It's it's brand new from scratch no legacy cruft and crust it is it is not it is not based on anything i, I got to reiterate that that's so big and it runs on linux and, and everything else well obviously when you have a brand new web browser getting things on the web to render and be usable is hard because the modern web isn't just rendering HTML. It's all the JavaScript stuff going along with it and all the CSS stuff. And it's just all the object models. It is a, a huge convoluted mess of decades and decades of weird patches and legacy and, and just layer upon layer upon layer. I mean, heck, for Firefox to render a, a simple web page, it, took, it takes, as I, as I put it in the article, roughly 200 bazillion gigawampers of RAM. And that is, that is technically correct. It takes 200 uh, bazillion gigawampers of RAM to render a simple block. I mean, it's true. I mean, you load up any tab on Chrome or Firefox, it takes, it takes huge amounts of RAM. And it takes an immense amount of CPU overhead to render the simplest of web pages in modern browsers. And that's because of how utterly complex it is and how much legacy code there is in all of those engines. But despite that, despite that seemingly insurmountable obstacle, that mountain that must, to be, cli must be climbed, that, that Sisyphean task of, of pushing it all the way up the hill, Ladybird is making amazing strides, leaps and bounds lately in getting some pretty significant websites to render correctly. And and what the uh, Andreas Kling, the the lead of the Ladybird and Serenity OS projects, posted a couple screenshots of the latest builds of Ladybird rendering different web pages. And two really caught my eye. The first one was Wikipedia. And Wikipedia may not seem like the most complicated website in the world, because it's not. But it's such a commonly used one, and it's been around so long, making sure that it works correctly in, in Ladybird is a pretty big deal. And it does, with a few minor little tweaks. I posted these screenshots over on the, over on the article. And then same with GitHub. So if you go to GitHub and load up a GitHub project page inside Ladybird, it, it, looks, it looks right. It, I mean, uh, there's one or two little layout things, but minor, minor layout things, real minor, looks totally good, totally usable, and honestly, almost as good as I was. I would expect it to look in Chrome or Firefox or Edge or whatever. It does not look bad. As I put it, not too darn shabby, which means that the number of issues that are preventing me from using Ladybird as a full-time web browser is shrinking by the day. That is amazing. It's not there yet. It's not there yet. But, you know, it's every time I load up a new build of Ladybird or a new build of Serenity in the Serenity browser, I am amazed at how much closer it's getting. Can I you know, edit all my articles and post all my content to locals and Substack with it yet? No. No, I cannot. But it's getting closer. 
bit by bit, it's getting there. And at the current pace and speed, it doesn't feel like it's that far away. Isn't that friggin' amazing? I mean, it's amazing. I, I, and it's all brand new code and it's lightning fast and it uses a fraction of the RAM. It is so sweet. Oh, it, what is going to be really interesting to me is to take a look when, when Ladybird browser gets to the point where you can go and watch a YouTube video and that, that all works just fine. And, and I can do all my work like Substack and, and locals, and people can go to the, the various Google things like Gmail and Google docs and all that sort of thing. When that's all more or less functional, right? Like it might still have tweaks needed or, or improvements, but when it all essentially works, it'll be interesting to stop right there as a snapshot and say, how much RAM does a single page loaded in Ladybird take versus a single page in Firefox or Chrome? It's going to be fascinating to look at. And what is the, the rendering speed like? I mean, really, because what, what we're coming up against is with Ladybird, it could be the way forward for having a truly functional, lightweight browser going into the future. Obviously, we're not there. We're not gonna. We're not gonna suddenly turn on our 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 web browsers and gra- and check do a checkout from GitHub, you know, next week and have Ladybird do everything we want it to do. But it already does a lot. If if you limited your web browsing, and it, like you can even log into Twitter and, and the Twitter, it's not there yet. Like the, the usage of Twitter isn't fully there yet, but it's getting closer. If you limited what you did, you could use Ladybird right now. But we're there. We're getting there. And this is from a project that has not been around that long does not have some big giant corporate backing, does not have an army of of a thousand paid engineers. And they're getting closer. It's amazing. It's 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 mind-meltingly awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. I anyway, you know it's 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 interesting. When I when I when I put together the news docket today, you know, I've been taking notes over the weeks. Every time something really makes me smile, I jot it down. And when I put it together today, I'm like, what are the what are the five news stories we're going to talk about today? Someone making solitaire work in Gopher. <laughs> like that's using an old network protocol in an ingenious way. I mean, think about how that has to work. Go check it out and think about how it has to, what he has to jump through in order to make a full game of solitaire work via Gopher. It's amazing. A new version of OpenBSD coming out. Pumpkin OS getting a file browser. Zeal, the Zeal 8-bit OS and new Zeal 8-bit Z80 computer. And the, and the Ladybird web browser just continuing to, to release and announce improvements. It gives me hope for the future of computing. 
because you see not just not just com big companies and big projects continuing to do amazing things, but you see small and individual projects sometimes put together by individual developers in their spare time doing things that are unique and truly one of a kind. When I think back to the beginning of the computer industry in my head, things like the West Coast Computer Fair, right? We think back to the early West Coast computer fairs and, and that, that, that one year where, where you, know, uh, you know, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak demoed their, their machines, their Apple II and everything. And how they really got started in their garage and they were just a couple of kids doing their own thing and being truly unique about it. And honestly, even, even the Microsoft folks, they did quite a lot with a very small group of people because of those early Microsoft folks, right? Bill and whatnot, Bill and, and Paul Allen, we got the operating systems for the Commodore 64, for the TRS-80 Model 100. We got the basic interpreter for the Apples. I mean, there was so much. Microsoft Basic was everywhere. All coming out of the minds of just a handful of people who were, for the most part, just crazy little hobbyists. And some of them turned out to be crazy, <laughs> crazy. Uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of nice ways to put this. Bill Gates like people. But there were so many people in those early days doing just truly amazing stuff and setting the foundation for what, what would be the most amazing advancements in computing in a lifetime or more. And now when I look around, I see that same sort of thing happening right now all over the place and i'm going to keep i'm going to keep talking about all of those amazing projects those weird projects the ones that fly under the radar but are of true creativity and true uniqueness to them Man, like Pumpkin OS. I really need to try that. <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone for hanging out with me today. Uh, I hope you're having a great nerdy week out there. If you are not currently subscribed, do that right now. Just go right now, lunduke.substack.com. Across the top, there's a how to subscribe. There's a bunch of different ways to subscribe. You know you want to do that right now. Um, you can also go over to lunduke.locals.com, which is our community. We do regular, roughly once a month, we do these themed weeks. We just finished Command Line Week, where we did all sorts of terminal and shell stuff. A month prior, we did DOS Week, which was a lot of fun. Next month, we're doing Haiku Week, which uh, the, a, a whole week dedicated to Haiku OS. That's going to be a blast. Also, also coming up on, I believe, November 12th. I think that is, I, I think where was it three weeks away? Uh, a little over three weeks away. I'm going to be doing a show, a live show called Mac OS Sucks. It is absolutely the Mac version of the Linux sucks thing that I've done for so many years. Uh, but it is only going to be available just for subscribers. You've got to be a subscriber to get it. By the way, if you, if you do subscribe, you get every single Linux sucks video that has ever been filmed which has never, there's never been another place where you've been able to get all of them before. So this is the, the one time you can grab all of them if you subscribe to the Lunduke Journal, and then you get to watch Mac OS Sucks in a couple of weeks. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to be a fun day. 
<laughs> it is. It's. It promises to be a good show. Uh, I finished the slide deck up not too long ago, and oh, it makes me smile. I am really excited to see how what everyone thinks of the show, uh, what the response is from everybody. Uh, I put a lot into this one. It, it, it's. It's. It's a good show. It's a good show. So subscribe. Get your subscriptions in. Do that now. Get a monthly subscription, a yearly subscription to save some bucks. Do the founding member thing so you can do a founding member hangout. The nice part about the founding member thing, if you do that that level, is you get access to both Substack and Locals. That's extra nice. Uh, or you can do a lifetime subscription, which, again, gives you access to Substack, Locals, all of everything that I produce, all of the books, all the videos, everything for the rest of your life. Uh, you can also give subscriptions to people. Do that. Go do that now. Make sure you've got that in place before Mac OS sucks, before Haiku Week hit, hits next month. Uh, be part of all that. It's going to be a blast. Thank you to everyone who already has. Thank you for making all this possible. Thank you for making it possible. For me to do shows, to write articles, to write books, to do all of this without taking a single penny from a company. Not one drop of ad a sponsorship, ad buys, big tech support, none of it. Ad I don't use Google AdSense or AdWords or anything. Not any of it. All supported by all of you. Which means I get to talk about whatever, whatever I want, whatever you want. We, we, we get to set the tone. We get to set the topic. So that's pretty amazing. Anyway, I love you all. And I hope you're having a great and nerdy week. And I will see you all a little later.